Hello, welcome to episode 29 of Risk and Reward, the golf podcast from Winning Edge Investments that helps keep you on the right side of the betting ledger. I'm Rod Murray, and shortly I'll be joined by my co-host John Evans with some thoughts on who might be worth betting on around the world of golf this week. But before we get to that, a quick hat tip to our sponsor, Winning Edge Investments, industry-leading providers of betting tips, advice, and education, enabling intelligent investment for long-term profit. If you're interested in racing, check out the Winning Edge Investments website, winningedgeinvestments.com. You'll find tipsters including the Trial Spy, Dean's Tips, and John's Analytics, all very popular and all for good reason. Now, it's not just racing where smart betting can lead to long-term winning. There's no reason we can't do it on golf which is the whole purpose of this podcast. We try to entertain and educate, not only on the winners and top finishers each week, but the game itself and what makes it such a popular and addictive recreational pursuit. As a reward for taking an interest in the game, if you're interested in accessing John's newsletter each week, head to the Winning Edge Investments website using the link in the show notes below. Sign up with a 25% discount using the promo code GOLF25. That means you'll pay just $112.50 per month rather than $150, and that's because you're a podcast listener. Also, while you're there, think about signing up for three or 12 months, because if you do that, you'll also get a profit guarantee. That is about as good a deal as you can get. On to this week's betting. Time to bring in my expert guest, John Evans. J.E.'s been a golfer and punter for as long as he can remember. And each week, he brings the two of those passions together for our listening pleasure. He's here to do it again this week. J.E., back in the studio. This is always my favourite way to record this podcast, where we can sit and look at each other. Oh, that's, I'm glad you're lo- loving that, right? I'm, Finally, I'm hoping, you're speechless. <laughs> I'm hoping I'm hoping this week that the microphone's working. Oh, easy there, Tiger. Uh, You'll make a mistake one day. I do. I do regularly. In fact, every week. But uh, <laughs> I'm looking forward to trying to tip uh, a big winner this week. Uh, slightly different philosophy, and uh, uh, we'll we'll find ourselves a big price winner, particularly in the Genesis Open in uh, in. Uh, San Francisco. Yeah, it's probably the marquee event of the week. There's a pretty impressive field gathered there. Before we come to this week, how did we go last week? I'm even going to share the responsibility with you for last week, even if we didn't go. I don't know how we went, but even if we didn't come out in front. Well, Jeff Crow used to say to me, when you leave a party, never say goodbye. <laughs> and uh, and in this particular case, if I told you how we went last week and bleated about the fact that uh, – um, Aaron Baddeley, who's noted as one of the greatest putters on the US Tour, three putted from four feet to miss the top 20. And Cameron uh, Smith, who's... Uh, Smith or Davis? Not, Davis, Davis, sorry. Cameron Davis uh, finished uh, bogey, double bogey to miss the top 20. You'll understand my frustration. <laughs> and, and and it's not variance, it's a pain in the ginger. <laughs> Indeed. That's uh, the joys of punting, J. I'm sure these aren't new pains for you. Did we come up? In front or behind overall last week? Behind last behind. week because of those uh, those, those, those top 20 missing out, which were at big odds, $7 and, and $8. So Let's move on then to this week. Uh, the roundabout starts again. The circus is back on the road. Uh, interesting week if you're interested in golf courses, JE. The Australian Women's Open is going to be played at Royal Adelaide. What a facility that is. As you mentioned, the Genesis Tournament being played at Riviera 
in is it, it's Los Angeles. Yeah, the Los Angeles Open it used to be, uh, and that's got a really strong field there. And here in Australia, they're playing the Queensland PGA at City Golf Club, if I'm not mistaken, up there in Brisbane. Let's start with the women in the Australian Open. I went to the last Women's Australian Open that was at Royal Adelaide, the only time I've been to Adelaide, and I have to say, J.E., what a facility. I fell immediately hopelessly in love with Royal Adelaide. Fantastic place. Well, I love, um, I don't know why this is, but I like that orange-coloured sand that uh, is prominent in uh, at Royal Adelaide. And one of the nicest places to come to a golf green is the 11th, where you walk up over a little mound or a hilly, hill, really, and you look into a little amphitheatre at this beautiful green and... Mackenzie had quite a bit to do with the design of Royal Adelaide and, and it's pretty obvious and I think it's a fantastic golf course and uh, it's been, I think Michael Clayton might have had a bit to do with dressing it up in the last few years. And he changed one hole, he's had a bit more to do over at the Grange. Uh, okay, oh, well anyway, there, there, there were some problems with I think 16 or 17 and and uh, it, they did need changing but the balance of the course out uh, towards the sea is just fantastic. It's one of those places, Jay, that it's, to me, it feels like it's kind of bigger than any of its individual parts. Uh, it's, a, it's a terrific golf course, no doubt about that, but there's a vibe and an atmosphere right down to the, and it's, it's, it's fantastic when you get there, there's a train runs right through the golf course, a train line, and the trains run along it, and you cross the train tracks, I think from the first green to the second tee. It's really quite unique, but the whole place has this fantastic vibe about it. I must have noted this a couple of times in the last or a couple of hundred times in the last week or so i couldn't believe the first time i drove through the gate you can see the clubhouse from the gate it's probably five or six hundred meters away and between the gate the front gate of the club and the clubhouse there must be five separate practice areas that could all be a par three hole on any golf course in the country and hold their head up high i mean i could i could only imagine what it must be like to be a member there and have access to those sorts of facilities just just fantastic and it really is you feel like it's about the golf at Royal Adelaide. There's the first time I saw a two-carriage train going down there, I started laughing because it was sort of such an incongruous sight in the middle of the golf course. And uh, the people sitting in there reading their papers and taking no notice whatsoever of this beautiful surroundings. But it is a, it's a pretty place, uh, just gently undulating enough. Yeah. To, uh, to give it uh, some really special, and it's a great course. And a beautiful fun to walk, play. actually, it's got to be said. It's a beautiful walk around there, Jay. It's not too strenuous or what the no. rest of it. I'm pretty sure in 1998, the week before the President's Cup, they had the Australian Open at Royal Adelaide. Greg Chalmers won it in a howling go, if I'm not mistaken. They set up a temporary platform at Royal Adelaide, and you could catch the train right into the golf course, step off on the platform, and you were inside, which is just what a way to get to the golf. Uh, all of which will be of almost no interest to the players once the gun goes off on Thursday morning, J.E. They're there to win what is a pretty in, a pretty important tournament on the LPGA. It's early in the season. They've not got the best field, but they've got a very good field assembled. And I would imagine that the betting's not going to be that easy this week. It's a strong list of players. Well, it was. it's... Um We've had to go to bet three six five last week, and I'll explain it very shortly. But last week I made a technical error. But this week I'm going for the Indian girl Aditi Ashok, who I've followed for some weeks. She's had a couple of uh, recent top ten finishes, and I think she's a player who who could just come out of the woodwork at some odds. 
She's well over 200 to 1. Um, and I think that this, this – I'm hoping that this is her week. So she's my first tip. T- talented player. Interviewed her a couple of years ago. Delightful young woman. Uh, enormous pressure on her, being from India. Uh, and she would be the most promising Indian women's player, I think, that uh, that, that country's ever produced. So there's an awful lot of pressure on her, but she's uh, – now, if I'm not mistaken, she won the LETQ school while she was still a student at the age of 16 or 17 a couple of years ago. So she now plays on the LPGA, which is an impressive achievement in its own right to get a card over there. I reckon that's a good bet, Jay, and I think she's got just the sort of game that Royal Adelaide will suit. Now, my second tip is is a player who has had a pretty good professional career, won a few events, She's only 34 or 5 years old, but she's had a sort of a... She's been a bit down, and her price has drifted out to $600, and it's Beatrice Ricari. Now, she's drifted out because her average score has dropped by half a shot over the last three years, but I've got to find these people who are above the odds, and... uh, she finished 20th three starts ago and then 43rd, so she's not that far out of form. Um, and I'm just backing that she might have a, a sort of... She might remember what she used to do in this particular event. And my final one, last week I did a lot of work on the qualifiers in the Australian Ladies Professional uh, event, which allows them to... To join the tour. Oh, the Q School, the ALPG Q School. Where Q was school. that played, by the way? I'm it trying was to played in Queensland. I think it might have been played at Royal Pines. But anyway, it was played in Queensland. And Robin Choi won it. And I thought to myself, here's her first, first tournament in the Vic Open. I'll put her in. And the price was strangely hadn't solidified. So I didn't put her in. And she actually put up a fantastic performance. I think she finished in the top 10. She did. So my tip this week is Hannah Lee at $1,251 on Bet365 each way because Hannah Lee finished one shot behind Robin Choi in the qualifying. So uh, my thinking on the Robin Choi issue proved right, and I'm hoping that Hannah Lee is able to do the same. The only thing I think that stopped Robin Choi was she was a little short off the tee and she struggled a bit in the wind on the third day, but she played a one under par around the last day in the wind. And I think these the girls who shot very low scores, I think she, Hannah Lee shot 2.11 and uh, three rounds and, and Robin Choi 2.10. So they're pretty good scores. So if she can... Rec- Repeat that sort of dose. We might just find one at twelve fifty one each way. So that's they're my three picks for the ladies Australian Open at the lovely Royal Adelaide. Royal Adelaide. Can I tell you, Jay? I was at the Vic Open. I uh, did some of the radio coverage there and wrote some stories for Golf Australia, the tournament organisers. That wind on Saturday was borderline unplayable. Sunday wasn't much fun, but on Saturday, now you know that I'm not the smallest bloke. I would go. I almost got blown off my feet a couple of times. That's how strong it was gusting. Uh, it was really quite remarkable. Some of the numbers that were shot that day, given the conditions, were really quite remarkable. So Robin can be forgiven for struggling on the Saturday because I think it was a struggle for everybody. Only if I think Say on You was the only player on the women's side of the draw to break seventy on Saturday, and she's a two-time major winner. 
So, and well, she would have won the tournament if she hadn't pulled, hooked it into the penalty area or the hazard yeah, on that the, was the a left strange, of the 18. Very odd shot. Strange shot. And uh, although, if you look at it, I, I've never played 13th Beach, sadly. I, I, I love Barwon Airs and I would like to go down and have a good look. And I might do that next year once I can walk again. I thoroughly recommend it. You would love it, Jay. The last hole, if you, if you look at it, you've actually got to drive it down the right hand side of the fairway. And you're still going to miss the fairway, so on the left. So, so you you wouldn't have to make a big mistake to hit it in the left hand bushes as she did. But anyway, just um, um, I thought that um, the wind was so strong that Minji Lee, uh, sorry, no, Min Woo Lee had to take four attempts to hold his putt on the last screen because the wind would he couldn't get to the stage where he could settle over the ball. So that, that's pretty windy. Yeah, indeed. What a talent he is, J.E. We might have a chance to have a quick chat about him a bit later. I'm keen to do that. Yeah. Have you seen him in person as yet? No, but I hear. But I remember um, uh, Clayton remarking on the fact that he hit it, um, a drive and a wedge to the last par five at Gary Arrow, and I thought to myself, this kid must be pretty strong. But what impressed me about him at uh, at 13th Beach was he was the only player who could stop his pitch shots Downwind, he's 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 more than just a long hitter. He's oh no, he's very got, talented. He's got all the tools, and I think he might have the caddy in place now that is going to help him learn how to play golf and make the most of the extraordinary talent that he has. Uh, and I think I said it on another podcast yesterday. I think full marks to to his caddy Shane Joel is his name. Uh, caddy who's caddied for a lot of very good players over time. In fact, I think he caddied for Marco Mira for quite a while. And Minwoo, if he's smart, which he is, will learn a lot from. Shane Joel, caddies are, we'll talk about caddies a bit later, but I, I give him a lot of credit. He could have easily lost that tournament in the last few holes on Sunday, but he just played smart, smart golf and got the job done. I thought that too. Yeah, and I, I was standing on the 18th, and particularly that 18th hole, there's the, 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 there's a lot of bad things can happen on that 18th hole if you're just a little bit blasé, and Minwoo Lee of two years ago might have pulled the driver out there and tried to drive it over the trees on the right and put it down there in sand wedge distance, which he's capable of doing, but Minwoo Lee of 2020 didn't. He laid it up with a four or five iron off the tee and just hit a nice mid-iron to the green, two-putted, and got the win. Let's go to the Queensland PGA at the City Golf Club. Not one of the biggest events in Australia, but an important event on the Australian calendar for those players who play in it, that level of player. They're, they don't have a lot of playing opportunities, so it's important for them. Who are we going with at the Queensland PGA, J.E.? Pretty hard to find any value there, Um on on uh, either Betfair or Bet365, but I did find a fellow, I found a few tips, but I did find a fellow who I, um, who's got a name of a, a former, or a great player on the European tour, same name, Chris Wood, or Christopher Wood, and he's at $400 each way on uh, Bet365, and the reason I put him in is because he finished third here four starts ago on this course and this event. And he's made the cut uh, five times out of seven and a top ten finish three starts ago. So I just thought he was one of the guys who, who, who one of the very few guys who was over the odds. There's a lot of very short odds uh, in this particular event, I think, uh, because not many people can put the prices together. But anyway... He's the only one I've got there in the Queensland PGA. Had a few other tips, but um, 
For podcast, Pete, it's Christopher Wood at $400 each way on Bet365. You've got another player noted here with a note. Talk about the caddies. I won't mention the player. You might. I don't know whether you wanted to give that one away for podcast, but what do you mean by that? What is this cryptic message you've now written on my list here? Well, the fella that I – and I have to go, give him um, – that give give the name out um, because of the significance of it is Elvis Smiley, who had Michael Clayton, uh, one of your fellow co-hosts on State of the Game, and Michael did a fantastic job, and young Elvis – Played very, very well at the Australian Open, was in the top 10 for quite a while and, 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 and finished uh, well up um, in the event. Very impressive. Now, he's a member at Southport in Queensland and is very used to the kind of grass which at the city course, which is actually in Toowoomba, not in uh, Brisbane, uh, Rod, and... Uh, it's exactly the same kind of grass and not a dissimilar course to Southport where he comes from. He'll have no difficulty with the uh, the grasses on the fairway and the green and the greens, which are different. And I think uh, he's a very big chance of this at $100, at $100 each way on Bet365. Had Clayton uh, caddied for him in this event, I would have been very bullish about his chances because I want to just cover another fella called Aaron Pike who has had top, he finished third in the Australian Open and he had a fella called John Walter getting from who's a scratch player himself and is a jockey manager and very, very good judge of a racehorse and a very, clearly a very good caddy because Aaron Pike hasn't made a cut before or since. And so the quality of the caddy, clearly impressive for Pike, but also I think for Elvis Smiley. They're only young blokes. Elvis is very young. He's only 18. And and I think the wisdom of somebody who, who – and Clayton's obviously a very good caddy because he caddies for Sue O and he's caddied for Christina Kim and a lot of other top players. And I think he caddied for the guy that won the, the mid-amateur too and – Lucas Michelle. Lucas Michelle. Yeah, so he'll be caddying for him at Winged Foot in the US Open when he goes to play there in June. Yeah, so, so I think that the caddy, um, a high-class caddy of the experience of, as I say, uh, Michael Clayton or, or, in Pike's case, Johnny Walder, makes a big difference. And uh, I wanted to make that point because if a young player, and you, you made it before about, um, about Minwoo Lee, I watched Minwoo Lee at the Australian PGA at Royal Pines and had he been listening to a a very good caddy, I think he would have won that tournament as well, but he made a couple of glaring mistakes in terms of the clubs he hit on a couple of holes and whipped it into the water when he shouldn't have. So I just wanted to make that point about the caddy, that the caddy can be of vital importance. The other thing about caddies, of course, and I think this is true for Minwoo Lee as well, and I think this was certainly true of Adam Scott back in 2011, when Steve Williams went to caddy for him after the bust-up with Tiger Woods, good caddies don't carry for dud players. It's a vote of confidence in Minwoo Lee's ability that a caddy of Shane Joel's standing is prepared to take the bag. And I think there was a change in Adam Scott when Steve Williams agreed to carry his bag. Steve, known as you know the best caddy and all that sort of stuff. I know you're not a great fan of Steve, but we know what his standing in the game is, that aside. 
And I reckon there was a change in Adam Scott's approach, and he certainly looked a lot more confident, carried himself differently after that happened, that, that Williams went to caddy for him. So I agree. I think the caddies are important. Just on Elvis Smiley, he's the reigning Australian junior champion. Most people will be familiar with his mum, Liz, who's a terrific woman, uh, one of the really nice people in the world of sport, or just in the world, actually. He might be our next quite special talent, J.E. He's done a couple of things. He's flying under the radar. A lot of people might have heard his name, but if you haven't yet, you certainly will at some point in the future. Very impressive. Tall, lanky, left-hander, drives at a mile, which doesn't make him stand out in this day and age because they all drive at a mile, but legitimately long, compresses the ball. I know that Clates, as you mentioned, when he caddied for him at the Australian Open, he was extremely impressed. Uh, And this is a young man who's still got plenty to learn, but he's smart, he's got the physical ability, and I think uh, I think Elvis Smiley might surprise a few this week. I, th- I agree with you 100%. He'll be comfortable in the conditions and the style of golf course. It'll all be familiar to him. I don't think he's in any way, shape, or form intimidated by playing amongst the professionals. I think he's got enormous respect, and he's a bit like a sponge. He soaks up a lot of information playing with them and watching what they do and learning. But if push comes to shove, he'll back himself in any situation to play well, and that's really important. So uh, I, I think Elvis Smiley's a really good pick there. I think I think I might have picked him in a magazine tipping column this week, uh, and I think it's a good bet because he's a, he is a genuinely he's, – he's going to be one of the, the crop of next really talented players. So best of luck, Elvis, and everybody else in the tournament there. Well, I played with uh, with Greggy Calder, a, former, a great mate of mine who was a former tour player. And his son, and who's a mate of Elvis's at Southport Golf Club, which is the course that Elvis plays at, when I think probably when Elvis was about 14. And Greg said to me, he said, have a look at this kid, tell me what you think. Well, he, he hit a drive about 320 yards at 14 left-handed down the 18th hole. And I hit two woods and he hit a wedge. <laughs> and I said to Collar, I said, how old is he? He said, he's 14. I said, poor. It's pretty handy. When he learns to play golf. <laughs> well, he knew how to play golf, and uh, obviously he's grown up a little bit since then. Yeah, no, he's a real talent. Yeah. So, um, Still a rangy kid. There's not a lot of him, and he'll fill out, and he'll get fitter. And he's stronger. probably a rival for Minwoo Lee. They've both got very long levers. I was just going to say, it's probably early to be saying, but he'll be the next one we talk about in those kind of tones. Minwoo's been an excitement machine ever since he won the U.S. Junior uh, three or four years ago, and I think Elvis Smiley might be the next. And his mum, I did a lengthy interview with his mum for another podcast a while ago, and I asked her, she's, of course, Liz Smiley won. How many majors did she win in the doubles in tennis? One or two? At least. So she's played at the very top levels of the game, no question about that. And I said to her, she said, I don't know anything about golf, but I said, to her, what, as an athlete or as a, a competitor, what stands out about him to you? And she said to me, he does things his own way, uh, not in a stubborn way, but he won't be derailed by the latest next great swing theory or this or that or the other. He works things out for himself and he does it his way. And as Jeff Ogilvy once pointed out, the very best. People are always trying to copy the very best. The very best never copy anybody. And that's an interesting an interesting take on it. So, yeah, good kid with a strong mind and plenty of golf ability as well. Uh, let's move across to the other side of the world, Jay. And as I said at the outset, this is the big show this week in golf. Tiger Woods is playing. So if Tiger's playing, it's automatically anointed as the biggest show in golf still to this day. It makes you wonder sometimes who might replace him in golf when the time eventually comes. But it hasn't come yet. We get to enjoy him again this week. Really strong field gathered here at Riviera. Funny golf course. Tiger's never played well there, interestingly, even though he's a local. Uh, his results at Riviera are fairly poor, frankly, by... 
his standards. But uh, big field, he's got some involvement. His foundation has got an involvement in the tournament. I think they organise the tournament. So when Tiger asks you to play the tournament you play, therefore lots and lots and lots and lots of good players. So best of luck picking anything of value this week, J.E. What did you come up with for Podcast Pete? Well, strangely, I mean, there's a lot of value and uh, it's right at the bottom of the, of the thing, although it's fair to say that certain number of players here have played very well here on this event. The two that stand out are Dustin Johnson and uh, Bubba Watson, who both have won here on multiple occasions and uh, and don't very rarely finish out of the top ten. But they weren't much value. Dustin Johnson at $13 and Bubba at $23 aren't my kind of cup of tea. But I did find one in the winning column, Joseph Bramlett, uh, a name that very few people will uh, have heard of. But I've been keeping a close eye on his performances over the last uh, month or two. He finished 18th last week at Pebble, and he's made three of the last four cuts, and I just think he's a comer. He's uh, he's not heralded, but he's a comer. So I've got him in for my winning tips. My top 20 tips... I've also got your old mate um, as a as a winning tip, Mr. Nate Lashley. <laughs> now you're you're just doing that to be spiteful now, aren't I you? Am. You don't actually think he's a worthwhile bet. You just being, no, I do. Just being spiteful. I think he's I think he's a worthwhile great do, bet. It's seven hundred and eighty dollars, but I'm being spiteful as well. Is that okay? So it's a win win. Yeah, it is. <laughs> and uh, and you know. You are the best podcaster in the world, Rod, but you, you sometimes need to be brought down a peg or two, and that's what I'm doing. As good a podcaster I am, I was just as ordinary a punter. So anyway, so so Nate Lashley, 780. I couldn't believe that. I think he finished 16th or 17th last week. He's, won, he's been very consistent since his win. I should be able to tell you about that. Just give me one second here. I've got it all written down here. Here we go. There we go. He's finished... 19th, 53rd, and 3rd in his last few events. Never played at Riviera. That could go either way, couldn't it? He might love the place on site. It's possible. Well, I, what I've found is he plays well on a variety of courses, so I didn't have any difficulty naming him. And then we go to our top 20, oh, uh, top 20 bets. No, I've got some top 10 bets. No, I've never done this while. before. Yep. Um, but I've been keep picking top 10s and putting them in for top 20 and top 2 or 40. So I thought, no, I'll put some for top 20, top 10. So I've got Sergio, Sergio Garcia, well-known name. And Sergio has a phenomenal record here. The striker's golf, golf course is one of the ball strikers. Course. He's a terrific ball striker, Sergio. And he's punning that cave. Yeah. He's finished uh, top 10 here um, two out of the last five events. And... He's finished top 10 his last three weeks, 8th, 23rd, and 6th. So I thought he was well over the odds at $6. My next one is... I put Joseph Bramlett in there, my, who I've already described um, as a top uh, top finisher because I think he's a comer. He's $28 for the top 10, which I thought was a pretty high price. Seems generous, yeah. And the other one I've got is Charles Howe the Third, a perennial uh, place getter. Don't tip him for the win very often because he doesn't win very often, but he can he can put a, put a number together. 
And Charles Howe's record here is very good. Finished sixth last year and finished 12th two starts ago. So I've got him in at $9 for the top 10. You just make that a perennial bet, Jay. Top 10 for Charles Howe. He reels them off like no other player in history ever has, I reckon. That's right. He he, he, he is. And, and at $9, I think if you kept backing him at $9, you'd, you'd, you'd make a lot of money. You so, absolutely would. Yeah, now top there's no top 40 bets this week because the market hasn't even got started. But there will be some for subscriber Steve tomorrow once the market solidifies, probably about lunchtime. But our top 20 bets, there's there's some bets. I've got uh, Carlos Ortiz at uh, $9. And Carlos, he's been playing well for quite a while. And he finished ninth here last year. And he's had three other starts here in the top 20 in a row. And he's finished in the last four weeks. He's made the cut three out of four times. 25th last week or two weeks ago. Didn't play at Pebble. So I think Carlos Ortiz is, is way over the odds. I think at $11, Carlos. And then my final, Peter Malnati. Now, I couldn't believe this. Peter Malnati, when he plays well, he almost always finishes in the top ten or the top twenty. And he has a he has he misses cuts, but he's eleven dollars for the top twenty and he finished nineteenth last week at Pebble and he plays well and he plays well in a rush. So they're my tips for the week, Rod. Um, all well over the odds. And if you back them, I can guarantee you'll make a profit. Outstanding work. Carlos Ortiz, I recall when he graduated from the secondary tour a couple of years ago, he dominated that secondary tour. I think it was called the Web.com Tour at the time. It's now called the Corn Ferry Tour, which I still haven't figured out. Are they a legal firm? I, can't, I don't know what they do, Corn Ferry. They're, they're getting an awful lot of free advertising to people who've got no idea what it is that they do. Now I'm curious. I'm going to go and look it up. Um, but, but graduating from that secondary tour is not easy. I'm if I'm not mistaken, he had multiple wins on the secondary tour, so he's a winner. Uh, hasn't played his best, I don't feel, since he went to the PGA Tour, but uh, I think that's generous odds. I agree with you, $9 for a top 20 finish is impressive. What else has grabbed your attention from the world of golf? If anything this week, J.E., or can we let the uh, podcast listener go now? Well, I thought Minwoo Lee um, was incredibly impressive on – a very difficult, in very difficult weather conditions, and he he did a couple of things that that made him stand out for me. He he hit a three hundred and twenty yard four iron on one hole, which is quite a long four iron. I don't think I don't think, I don't think <laughs> it used to take me two four irons. Two four irons to go three twenty, yeah. Um, but that was, and he hit the he hit the iron. Very impressively, it wasn't only the length, but he found the fairway, very narrow fairways on the holes where he chose to hit an iron. But the thing that really impressed me was on the 16th hole in the last round, he drove it into the sand and hit a pretty ordinary second shot. And at the time, Ryan Fox had eagled the last to get within one shot of him. So... He had a par five to finish, obviously, which was something up his sleeve. But 
If he bogeyed 16, he, he falls back into a tie with Ryan Fox. And he had about a 60-yard pitch downwind, very strong downwind, and I thought, well, this is going to be pretty pretty difficult shot here to get for. And he hit a pitch downwind that took two, two bounces and just stopped dead. And no other player that I saw could stop a full shot. So here's this kid with a pitch shot, a half shot, much more difficult to hit a spinning shot, just hit the most beautiful pitch from the rough, two bounces, bang dead, in, and then hold it from six foot for his par. And I thought, that is something very special. Mm-hmm. That's what wins golf tournaments, isn't it? It's, it's the difference between just good players and winners. That, that whole last four holes... He birdied 15, which he had to. The birdie at 16 was a bonus. He bogeyed 17, which is not uncommon at all. It's a par three and a half, that hole. It's a, the, the green is It's more difficult to hit than it should be for some reason. The players really struggle with it. So he made four there, but that's giving up half a shot on the field. The timing wasn't great, obviously, with one hole to go, but played the 18th just beautifully. And it reminded me, J.E., that Peter Thompson once took Ian Baker Finch out to the 15th tee at an Open Championship, and he said, learn to par these last four holes because one day you might have to do it to win an Open. It's extremely good advice in those last four holes. Minwoo arrived at the 15th tee, which is right next to the 18th green, just as Ryan Fox polished off that eagle putt, and he saw all the hoopla that went with it, and I'm sure he would have been informed what it meant for him, that the number was now set. So he played the last four holes knowing what he needed to do to win, and he did it. And I thought that was really important because that's not a side of Minwoo Lee we had seen prior to this point. And that's what impressed me. Yeah, well, it wasn't only that he did it, but it was the the manner in which he that's did right. it that impressed me. Um, Aggressive when he needed to be, sensible when he needed to be. Uh, you know, if you, if you saw the last hole was very interesting. The players who tried to bounce the ball up one or two of them bounced it up and then way over the back. Another one or two of them bounced it up and it checked and rolled back down behind the bunker. So it was an extremely difficult shot to get it within 20 feet of the hole. Very much, yeah. And Minwoo got up there and hit it 10 feet away. So he did a couple of things that were were, were the best of the day and... That's why I think he's a very special talent. Now, I think he might be the most talented kid we've got. And if you have a look at the fact that um, we've won, um, Australia's won an incredible number of events in the past month. Been all right, hasn't it? In Europe, it's been an amazing, amazing, in Hong amazing. Kong, Mark yeah. Leishman, Cam Smith. But if you look at them, and I, and I think Cam Smith's a special talent too, but I'll tell you what, I think this kid could be the best of all of them. He, he reminds me of Peter Thompson. So um, he's always had the tools. He's really learning how to use them now. He's, he's going from very good carpenter to true craftsman. Uh, yeah, no, I think that's a very good, very, very good uh, description. Um, so, so he very much impressed me. Ryan Fox um, looked like he putted better with his with the with the putter held against his forearm, which um, which uh, John Lister invented. Uh, despite the fact that um, Matt Keats made it tries, tries to make, so I tell you he did. But Johnny Lister used to putt like that, and he was a genius, absolute genius. Um, this might work for Fox because the thing that I noticed in Europe, um, 
when he was beaten by Knox, Russell Knox, was that he had a chance to hold five or six putts under 15 foot in the last nine and didn't hold any of them. And, and Russell Knox hold two and 40 footers in a row to beat him. If, if he can putt equally as well as, say, the top 50 players or be in the top 50 putters, I think Ryan Fox is, could have a very, very good year too. So that, was, that impressed me. Yeah, fabulous hitter of the ball, Ryan Fox. Hits at prodigious distances, obviously, as he proved on Sunday. The interesting thing about that Sunday round, I thought, from Fox, for me, J.E., was, and I think this sort of says something, he stood on the first tee. He didn't care whether he finished third or 30th, I don't think. He was going to try to win. And in those conditions, he was aggressive almost to the point of recklessness. Not reckless, but almost to that point. He played so aggressively because that number was not possible to shoot on that golf course. I can, I can tell you that. That was a really special round of golf. And he has to have taken some enormous risks along the way and have had them pay off to have shot. I didn't see every shot that he played, but that's the only explanation because it was, it was incredibly difficult out there on the Sunday. The best way to describe it is it was Arnold Palmer-like. Yeah. He went for everything and it yeah, came off. and it came off. But he, he I, I watched him play an exhibition. I don't think he'd even, he might have still been, he might have just turned pro and he played an exhibition with Greg Turner and Peter O'Malley at uh, Cromwell Golf Club in the South Island of New Zealand. And he, he drove it about 100 yards past Turner and O'Malley on the first hole, and I thought, oh, that's got a bit of strength, but it's very strange swing. But he he missed the green on the left on the par five, and he had a very difficult chip shot, and he held it for three, and I thought, oh, wait a minute, there's a bit more to this guy <laughs> than, than he's a long hitter. So Not just he, he, is, he, is, um, he is very talented, and he's getting better and better, so I think he's a bit of a chance. And then you come to the women... It was noticeable that the leading women were not comfortable in the strong wind because in America they don't play with a great deal of strong wind and in Korea I suspect it's the same. And when they came to a course like 13th Beach, which is, which is a really tough ask for women and a, and, a, and a great test for them, the wind determined... The best win player in the end won, and I think it's it's uh, it's it's interesting. I remember Carrie Webb winning the Australian Open, shooting sixty-eight at Victoria, which I think is one of the greatest rounds ever played in a very strong wind on a very difficult golf course, where if you miss the green, it runs further away on almost every hole at Victoria. Her sixty-eight was fantastic, and and she just beat Lydia Coe, who, who had a dumb caddy that week. But uh, I just think uh, the the girls who can win in, say, good links golf courses in windy conditions, there's probably only four or five of them that are good enough to do it. And uh, that's an area where there's still some improvement to be made, I think. Yeah, the, the women in particular will only ever see a course like 13th Beach and this week's course, Royal Adelaide, here in Australia at the beginning of the year. They will not play anything resembling either of those golf courses for the rest of this year. 
Well, if they play on a Lynx course in in Great Britain, they could have conditions just as bad or even worse. So they'll play two. They'll play two tournaments: the Scottish Open and the Women's British Open. Are the only two that might resemble something like what they'll see out here in that form of golf, where getting the ball on the ground is more important than being in the air. Um, but yes, I agree. I was surprised on Saturday. The women's scoring was quite good. On Sunday, the last group finished at about 30 over par between them. It was horrendous. Madeline Sagsham shot 81. She's she's too good to shoot 81 with a broken wrist. That's how good a player she is. So she admitted afterwards that she'd just lost it mentally, and it was probably more that, I suspect, than anything. Well, I think that that's led, what it is. That I led just, to some I, of the golf we saw, I, yeah. I just don't think that they've figured out um, that you, you've got to throttle back. Yeah, and, and it was 36, it was 36 holes of it, and most of the players will never have encountered that. One day, perhaps, but two days in a row. Yeah. And I think it just... Uh, well, I yeah. see they played the... British Open at Woburn Abbey or somewhere like that instead of last year's yeah but they've had in fairness the, the British Open has gone Moomin's British Open has gone to some much better courses in recent years uh, that was a, a sort of a one off um, but yeah yeah they need to go to Kings Barnes and yeah which they uh, have been well, they played at the old course a few years ago which yeah. is fantastic they played at Birkdale they've played a couple of the really good uh, which is good to see and those courses are a fantastic showcase for the women's game because. They struggle somewhat with the men a lot of the time because of how far the men hit the ball these days, whereas the women hit the ball the sort of distances at the top of the game that we used to see from the men in the 80s. So, What was amazing to me was the women would have had a start on, I don't know what the starts were, but I would have thought that would have been 30 or 40 yards on most of the holes at, at 13th Beach, but sometimes the men were 120 yards further than we'll... How ridiculous uh, is that? Uh, it probably wouldn't, be, it probably wouldn't have been that much on most of the holes. I didn't get around to see the whole golf course, in fairness, but I thought most of the, the 18th was probably about 30 yards further forward. It really shows up in the second shots. So in that playoff, which I followed all of those holes, I was there doing sort of the commentary for the radio. You're right, you couldn't hit the fairway. It was impossible, especially downwind, literally impossible. But where the women drove it to there each time was in that corner of the dog leg of the fairway there. And they were having hybrids, five irons, those sorts of clubs, downwind to a firm green. If you pitched it short, as you said, it'd go through the back. If you pitched it on the front edge, it might come backwards. Very hard to hold. Well, the blokes from there would have been hitting at most an eight iron, probably more like a nine iron or a wedge for a lot of them. And the difference there is, as you'd imagine, remarkable. Just the trajectory of the shot with an eight iron versus a five iron or a hybrid. Uh, But, of course, the the advantage, they had the, the, the corporate stand behind so all you had to do was just smash it at the green and the ball would run through, hit that, you go to the drop zone, chip it up close and away you go. So look, there was there are a few issues there, but uh, for anybody who thinks women's golf isn't interesting to watch and that the girls can't play, uh, you're kidding yourself. They are fantastic players. Uh, some of the striking is staggering. I hadn't seen Sue O hit a ball for a couple of years and I got to watch her hit off the first tee on Saturday morning uh, and she has picked up quite a few miles club head speed and serious compression. She hits the ball where she's looking and it goes there with authority. So she's not one of the longer hitters on tour, but they can play. They can really, really play. Uh, And if you don't think they can, go out and have a look. And if you know anything about golf, you'll recognise how well they can play. So, Well, I think Jeff Ogilvie summed it up. He said he watched a lot of the girls and... He couldn't believe, he said, He said, when I get a hybrid in my hand, I might get within 25 or 30 yards of the flag. He said, these girls keep it into five or six feet. So, feet, yeah. so uh, and they are, they're, they're like machines. I think he played golf with, he might have played with So You New and Clates earlier in the week. I'm pretty sure he told Clates that, uh, I think that's what he said, 
that if Soyon hit it 30 yards longer off the tee, she'd be winning men's majors. <laughs> that's a nice rap, isn't it? So that that tells you. I mean, and, you know, Je- Jeff's not one for hyperbole, generally, uh, and he's a pretty good judge of the game and, and golfers, having won a US Open and played at the very highest levels of the game. He wouldn't have said that lightly. Now, there's obviously a lot more to winning majors than just... You know, but that, that gives you an indication of how impressed he was and so Yon is one of the best. She is a phenomenal golfer. That, that, that's why that tee shot off 18 was so surprising, uh, particularly under the circumstances. You actually expect her to get better under the pressure, uh, which is why that was such a shock. But that's a pretty big statement. As you say, um, 30 yards longer, she'd be winning men's majors. That's, that's a, it's a fair old rap from someone who knows. So go out if you get the chance. If you're in Adelaide this week and you don't go out to Royal Adelaide to watch the golf, you've only got yourself to blame. There are some fantastic players in the field out there. Go and have a look at Suo, Hannah Green. Go and watch Minji Lee. Extraordinarily impressive golfer. Nothing that looks flash on the TV, but you go out and watch it in person. You hear the sound of the contact. You hear the compression on the ball, and you see the flight of the ball. You realise pretty quickly just how good they are. Um, well, it's, a, it's a beautiful place as well. And it's think, well. You can take the train out there. Yeah, I'm not sure if they've got the station set up this year, but they certainly did it at the Australian Open, which was fantastic. Enough out of us for the week, J.A. Been great to have you on board again. Great to see you in the studio. Thank you very much, and best of luck with all those tips this week. Thank you, Rod. Um, I'm, 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 I'm starting to think you're a bit of a Jonah, but I'm. Uh, <laughs> but however, I've got my mate Nate Lashley in there again, and he might turn. He might turn the corner for us. Turn the knife in my back at some point. Good on you, Nate. Best of luck this week. That's it for episode twenty. Eight, did I say? Or 29 of Risk and Reward. Whichever episode it is, this is the end of it. So if you've got to hear, you probably know what episode it is. We'll be back to do it all again, of course, next week here on Risk and Reward. Risk and Reward.